Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. I hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Mark chapter 5. This whole section from chapter 1 through to chapter 8 is part of what most scholars call the Galilean ministry. And this chapter, actually the the whole section from Mark 4.35, which uh, has Jesus calming the storm, through to the end of chapter 5, is sometimes referred to as revelations of Jesus' power and authority. Now, whatever you want to call it, it is absolutely true that the story at the end of Mark 4 with the storm has to be seen together with the story in Mark 5 about the healing of the man with the demon. In fact, to a lot of veteran Bible readers, it looks for all the world like Jesus is intentionally fulfilling Psalm 65.7. Psalm 65.7 says, Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples? Right? Who does that? Who is sovereign over the storms out there? and the storms in here? And the answer, of course, is God. God is sovereign over the storms out there and the storms in here. And so when we see Jesus doing things in these two chapters that only God can do, what are we supposed to conclude from that? Obviously, we are supposed to conclude that Jesus is God. He stills the roaring of the seas. We saw that yesterday. And today, we see that he also calms the tumult of the peoples. All right, here now the reading of God's word, beginning at verse 1. The Bible says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. 
As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Now, John Calvin said in the introduction to his institutes that we read the Bible basically to learn about God and about ourselves. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones expanded on that slightly to say that we read the Bible to learn about God, about humanity, and about how God brings humanity back into right relationship with himself through the person and work of Christ. And I think that that's exactly right. And I think we see those same categories at work here in this marvelous little story. We certainly do learn some very important, very helpful things about humanity in this story. We learn, for example, that human beings can be horribly and tragically enslaved. The description that Mark provides is intended to stir up our our sympathy for this poor human being. Listen to what he says there, verses 3 to 5. He says, He lived among the tombs, bound with shackles and chains. He was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So this person is barely recognizable as a human being, right? And, and that's the point. That's, that's the point of demonic possession and oppression. William Lane says, This account, more graphically than any other in the Gospels, indicates that the function of demonic possession is to distort and destroy the image of God in man. That is the sum total of what the devil means to do. He wants to destroy and deface the image of God in human beings. Jesus said that. He said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's kind of a one-verse summary of the story, right? The, The devil sent his demons to kill and destroy this brother, but God sent his son to set him free. That's the gospel. This story is a a picture, it's a snapshot of the gospel, and it begins with the unpleasant fact that human beings are in bondage to a cruel and hateful master. Now, loads of people today would want to dispute that. They would want to say that people are free, all right? But here's an uncomfortable truth from the Bible. You aren't strong enough to be free. If you refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ, you will fall subject to to the lordship of demons. One way or another, the devil will infiltrate your life, your body, your mind, and your society, and he will destroy and deface the image of God in you. That's what the Bible says. Now, we also learn in this story that human beings in bondage hurt other people and hurt themselves. I've got a friend who likes to say that hurt people hurt people, and that is exactly right, and you see it in this story. Mark says he was cutting himself and he was terrorizing the village. That is a picture of a person in bondage. Hurt people hurt people and they hurt themselves. Third thing we see in the story is that human beings have tremendous worth and value in the eyes of God. Did you notice that over 2,000 animals perished in the story? And and in modern terms, that represented an an economic impact of about $400,000. And the Bible passes over over that fact without mention, right? That's, that's, there's no story about, did Jesus give them, the, the farmers some money? Did, did he do any, did he, did he do a miracle of multiplication on the pigs that were left? No mention of that. That's not where the focus is. 
The focus is on the worth and dignity of this one solitary man. Now, the villagers were very concerned about the economic value of the herd, but God is concerned with this brother's soul. It's hard to escape the fact that Jesus came looking for this brother, right? Because there's no good reason for any Jewish person to be coming to this area. Everything in this story is off limits to Jewish people. You got pigs, you got Gentiles, you got demons. This is not a place where you expect a Jewish rabbi to go hiking, right? But Jesus comes here on purpose. He came here on mission. And this man was the mission. He, he had great worth. He had inestimable worth in the eyes of God. We learn a lot about people in this story. But we also learn a lot about Jesus. We learn, of course, of course, first and foremost, every time in Mark's gospel, the main point is that Jesus is God. That is always the point Mark is working. Mark is an evangelist. He writes to convince us that Jesus is God and he is the Savior that we need. And you can certainly see that in the story. Again, many of the original readers of the story would likely have had Psalm 65, verse 7 memorized. Who stills the roaring of the seas? the roaring of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples? There's only one answer to that question, and it is God. Even the demons see that, right? They they know who Jesus is. They say, we know who you are, Jesus, son of the most high God. You never want to be dumber than the demons. And even the demons are connecting the dots here and making the connection that if Jesus can walk in the water, if, if, if Jesus can calm the storm, if Jesus can command evil spirits, then clearly Jesus is the Son of God. We also see in the story that Jesus is the bringer of peace. Wherever Jesus goes, whether he, whether he goes out in the storm in a boat or whether he goes out to the chaos of the Gentiles and the Decapolis, wherever he goes... His presence brings peace. His word and his person bring things back into order. Look at verse 15 there. They came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. I mean, that's a picture of what it means to be saved. If you are with Jesus and if he is with you, then chaos and fear and madness are vanquished. And in their place, there's peace and order and sanity. Thanks be to God. We need to move on to our next story there. This is a fairly long chapter in Mark's gospel. We've only covered the first half, so we need to move much quicker. The text says, starting at verse 21, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. 
And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Well, we are pretty much out of time here, so let me just say this. Only God can calm the seas, and only God can calm the tumult of the peoples. And in this chapter, we see the three great storms in the human life. We see demons, we see disease, and we see death. And in all of these stories, we see Jesus sovereign and powerful over them all. He heals the man with the demon. He heals the woman with the disease. And he even raises this little girl from the dead. Clearly, Jesus is God. Clearly, he cares about all manner of people, men and women, old and young, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. They are all represented in one of these stories. And the significance of that is very hard to miss. Mark is making his main point here. Jesus is God, and he is the Savior that we need. He is God over the storm, and he is God in our storms. And so you should be like the woman in this story. She heard, she came, and she touched him. And you should do the same. Because Jesus is God. He is the Savior that we need. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. 
Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile one is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.